0: listening to the already gone podcast sharing stories of the missing the murdered the mysterious and the lost there are some stories that are so awful so horrifying that they're hard to look at the crime itself was so cruel and so senseless that it's hard to linger in that space for too long Crimes that sound like an urban legend, but they're real. The loss and the grief and the destruction, it's tangible. This isn't some whispered story. Today we're going to one of those places, one of the darkest pages in Michigan's history, a case involving the destruction of two families at the hands of one troubled man. Come with me to the spring of 1982 when the mere existence of Mary Jane Paulson, a happily married mother of three girls, drove one man to do the unthinkable. Allendale Township is a suburb of Grand Rapids, situated about a dozen miles to the west between Grand Rapids and Lake Michigan. In 1982, it was very much a small town. The 1980 census showed a population of 6,000 people. It was a community where people knew each other, either from seeing one another at church or the local hardware store, or perhaps you attended the same school function held at the township's only public school, a kindergarten through 12th grade building where all the kids were educated, unless they went to the nearby parochial school. The Paulson family, Dad Bob, Mom Mary Jane, and their three daughters, Cindy, 18, Carla, 13, and Casey, the youngest, was eight. They lived on a big piece of property, several acres in size, in a renovated farmhouse. Bob, who worked as a sales representative, enjoyed working on the house in his spare time, and he spent many hours and many dollars making improvements to the home. The family also enjoyed their in ground swimming pool. Bob hired out the pool installation but he built the tidy pool house which held mechanical and equipment. It was a good life, and they were a beautiful family. Bob and Mary Jane had been together about 20 years, and they were still a youthful couple. He was 42, and she was 40 when... well, when everything went wrong. Mary Jane Paulson was a working woman. While Bob was in sales, she worked at Auto Weld, Inc., a Grand Rapids-area business. It was there, at Otto Weld, that she crossed paths with a very troubled man, Maris Kirklands. Kirklands was known as Marty. He was 41 years old, a draftsman by trade, the oldest son of Milda and Juris Kirklands. His parents fled the horrors of Nazi invasion in Europe, settling in West Michigan to raise their boys. Kirkland's had a long history of mental illness. He'd been treated in psychiatric hospitals on and off through his adult life. His brother, Andrus, did not experience the frightening paranoia, suspicion, and anger that plagued Marty. March 13, 1982, was a Saturday. The day was gray, rainy, and windy. Temperatures were in the 40s. It was the sort of day where you want to hang out at home, Maybe watch a movie or work a jigsaw puzzle. The whole family was there, in their tidy farmhouse with the picket fence out front. Mary Jane prepared a simple lunch for the family, liverwurst sandwiches served at the dining room table. At 1 p.m., a friend of Mary Jane Paulson called the house and spoke briefly with her. She would later tell police that Mary Jane was fine. She didn't sound distressed or upset. It was after lunch and after this phone call that the Paulson family was surprised by someone at the door. It was Marty Karklins. He'd come to visit. His illness no longer in remission. His agitation and paranoia palpable. What happened next was chaos. Horror. The Paulsons needed to be saved from Mary Jane. They needed to be purified. Marty arrived to do that. He was there to save them, the three children, the terrified parents, all trapped by a madman, armed and angry, ranting and unrelenting. Maris Karklins was born in Latvia, a tiny country between what is now Estonia and Lithuania on the Baltic Sea. Latvia was invaded during World War II. The country was ravaged by German and Soviet forces. His parents, Milda and Juris, were unable to shield their children from atrocities. Marty was witness to several executions at the hands of German officers. Not just one, but dozens of deaths. The horrific images seared into his young, developing brain. When the war ended, the family emigrated to the United States and settled in West Michigan. Marty struggled with mental illness throughout his adult life but he also managed to achieve a degree of normalcy, enlisting in the U.S. Army in 1959 when he was 18 years old. He would receive an honorable discharge in 1962, and after his service, he again returned to West Michigan and his parents' home. During his time in Korea, his mother would report that her son experienced a traumatic event. While he and a good friend were on patrol, They were fired upon, and his friend was killed instantly, right in front of him. This left a deep impression on Marty. His parents say that their son was not the same after he returned from military service. It's possible that the trauma of his friend's death triggered long-buried memories of his early childhood in Latvia and the atrocities he witnessed during World War II. In 1981, Two decades after his military service, Karklins was 41 years old. 1981 was also the year that he took a job with Auto Weld in Grand Rapids. He worked as a draftsman in an office space he shared with the company's owner, Leonard Fenema, and Fenema's assistant, Mary Jane Paulson. Paulson and Karklins did not get along. In a news article from the summer of 1982, Fenema told the press that if Mary Jane liked Oldsmobile, then Marty preferred Pontiac. The two, he said, were like oil and water. As Fenema's responsibilities changed, he realized he'd be spending more time away from the office, and leaving Paulson and Kirklands there alone all day? That wouldn't work out. Fenema knew something was off between the two, And neither he nor Paulson realized that Karklins was fixated on her. He obsessed about Mary Jane Paulson, the pretty mother of three that he worked next to each day. Fenema made some calls and helped Karklins locate a new job. What Fenema may not have known is that in the almost 20 years since Karklins left the U.S. Army, he'd been sent to psychiatric institutions on five previous occasions. Doctors were trying to manage what his father, Juris Karklins, called, quote, bad spirits, and prevent his angry, sometimes violent outbursts from occurring. In the spring of 1982, Marty Karklins resided in an attic bedroom in his parents' modest home in the northeast part of Grand Rapids, a room that contained stereo equipment, military items, weapons, and lately, Nazi paraphernalia. Milda and Juris knew their son needed ongoing help, but as Juris would tell the press in the summer of 82, the hospitals, well, they would release him, send him home like he was better, but they knew their son wasn't cured, that the bad spirits still lurked. They wanted to help him, but what could be done? The hospital said he was well enough to be released. His parents would welcome him back home and monitor his medication and behavior, keeping an eye out for the return of the bad spirits. What the Karklins did not understand is that there was no cure for what ailed their son. Some mental illness, particularly a disorder that presents in this manner, it can't be cured, it can only be managed. The medications available in the early 1980s to manage psychosis similar to what Carklin's experienced, must be carefully monitored, and users are at a risk of a multitude of unpleasant side effects. As long as his medication was taken properly, it managed his symptoms, and he wasn't reacting poorly to the medication, then he didn't need to be hospitalized. In March of 1982, Marty wasn't well. The bad spirits had returned and the spirits told Marty that he was a hitman for God, that he had work to do, work that should be done on behalf of the Lord. When Carklins woke up on Saturday, March thirteenth, nineteen 1982, he knew that it was time. It was early afternoon when Carklins left his parents' home and traveled west, out of Grand Rapids, to Allendale Township. He was looking for the pretty farmhouse with the pool and the picket fence. Marty Karklins arrived prepared for the task at hand. He brought weapons from his collection along with him. When he arrived at the Paulson home, I wonder, did he let himself in? Did he knock at the door? Did he burst into the lovingly updated farmhouse, gun in hand? However Karklins made his entrance, the results were the same. The Paulson family, all five of them, Bob, Mary Jane, Cindy, Carla, and Casey, they were rounded up and forced into the narrow galley-style kitchen of the home. Each victim shot in the head repeatedly at close range. Cindy and Bob lay against the kitchen door. The other three bodies sprawled across the kitchen. Shell casings littered the floor. After murdering the family, Kirkland explored the home. The fire marshal will later say that the fire was started on the second floor of the house. I mentioned that the Paulson home was on a big piece of property. It was so big that Bob Paulson was able to lease a portion of the 60-acre spread to a local man, Jerry Holsteig. On the afternoon of March 13th, Holsteg was out tending to his cows when he saw smoke rising from the area of the Paulson home. He walked over to see if the family was okay, and when he attempted to enter the house via the kitchen door, he found the bodies of 18-year-old Cynthia and her father. The farmer knew they were deceased, and rather than enter the smoke-filled house to look for a phone, he hurried back to his own home to call for help. When the Ottawa County Sheriff arrived, along with the fire department, the bodies of Mary Jane, Carla, and Casey were also found in the house. The home was gutted by the fire leaving a burned husk of a farmhouse like a scar on the landscape. While the home was a total loss, the bodies of the Paulson family were not burned up in the fire like their killer planned. The sheriff's department worked the case, trying to find out why someone would do something like this, not just kill the family, but the vicious overkill, then setting the house on fire. The scene was horrific. The small community of Allendale Township, with a population of less than 7,000, was in fear. The killings appeared random, and when April started without an arrest in the case, people began to wonder who could be next. The Ottawa County Sheriff's investigative team, led by Detective Lieutenant Lee Posma, immediately dug into the people around the Paulson family. Friends, family, co-workers, neighbors, students from the Allendale School where the girls attended, Everyone was spoken to in an attempt to determine who might want to bring harm. This violent, horrific, and disturbing level of harm to a quiet, well-liked family. On Thursday, March 18th, five days after the murders, a funeral was held for the family in Grand Rapids. After the service, the remains were cremated. In early April, investigators spoke with Marty Karklins as part of their dig into the family background, but nothing Karklins said or did concerned the investigators enough to name him as a person of interest in the case. Karklins provided an alibi that he'd taken his vehicle, a camper van, to be washed at a self-service car wash. No one could verify the alibi, and while they couldn't place him at the scene, he wasn't ruled out as a suspect. Marty Karklins' name remained on the list. Detectives from the Ottawa County Sheriff's Department kept working, chasing leads and trying to unravel the case. It would be nearly four months until they had an answer to the question, and the answer was revealed in the most disturbing and horrifying way possible. On Sunday, July eleventh, 1982, Marty Karklins was not well. He'd been unwell for months, struggling with what his parents called the bad spirits, Karklin saved the Paulson family from the witch inside of Mary Jane Paulson, but killing her, killing all of them, didn't alleviate his anxiety. It didn't release him from the agitation and preoccupying thoughts. Grand Rapids police were called to the Karklin's home that Sunday morning, about 8.30 a.m. Marty was agitated, dressed in Nazi-style military garb and flying the Nazi flag in front of the house. While there is much documentation of what happens later in the day, there's nothing about the first call to the house on Graceland Street. Maybe they thought Karklins would calm himself down. His parents weren't around. They'd travel to their cottage for the weekend. It was late Sunday afternoon when the call came in to 911. Shots fired at the Carklin home. When police arrived, they found a crowd of people in the street across from the house a tidy story-and-a-half bungalow. Bystanders told police that the man in the house had shot his mother. A lieutenant went to the side door of the house and asked Marty to come out, yelling, It's the police! Come outside! Looking through a kitchen window, they saw a shirtless Karklins holding a gun. Drop the gun and come outside, police ordered. They heard the clatter of the weapon being dropped and officers rushed into the house. They cuffed Karklins, who was dressed in a green hat, black pants, and tall black boots with metal spurs. At his waist was a scabbard with a dagger. Police removed the weapon before placing him in the back of a patrol car. The officers were shaken by the scene inside the house, and one of the officers said, "'You shot your mother!' To which Karklins replied, "'That's not my mother. That's a witch who's been harassing me for years.' She brought 20 demons into this house. Police found Milda Karklins on the floor at the bottom of the basement stairs, on her back in a pool of blood. EMS came in and removed her from the house, rushing her to Butterworth Hospital. Police loaded a despondent Juris Karklins into a cruiser and drove him to Butterworth so he could be with his wife. While in another cruiser, Karklins began talking to the officers who took him into custody. I did the world a service by shooting a communist agent and a witch. Carklins took a breath and continued, I zapped her because she is un-American. The officers then read Carklins his rights, advising him that he was under arrest. When the officer asked Carklins if he wanted his mother to die, Carklins responded, I didn't fucking shoot her to live. He would later tell this officer, quote, she put me in Kent Oaks. That's another reason I put a round in her head. Kent Oaks is a psychiatric facility in Grand Rapids. In the early 1980s, they provided inpatient psychiatric care. When the neighbors were interviewed, one of them told police that the parents, Juris and Milda, arrived home only a few minutes before the shooting occurred. When they arrived, they saw that Marty hung Nazi flags out front of the house, and Milda took them down. This is likely what sparked the argument leading to the shooting that afternoon. When police and evidence technicians processed the house, it was like something out of a horror movie. The living area was filled with Nazi military items, medals, uniforms, hats, weapons, and magazines. There were flags and swords and a box of ammunition spilled across the sofa, Upstairs, in his attic bedroom, they found several colorful stuffed animals that had what looked like bullet holes in the head and mouth. The entire scene was punctuated by a cassette player, blasting what sounded like Hitler's speeches. While in custody, Marty Karklins confessed to the murder of the Paulson family. His confession lasted for more than two hours. He was the one who shot each of them in the head several times before setting the house on fire and fleeing into the gray afternoon. He told police of the stinky, horrible food that Mary Jane was serving to the children, likely referring to the liverwurst sandwiches she prepared, remnants of the meal that law enforcement found in the kitchen when they arrived on scene. Karklins wasn't shy about his involvement. He said, I killed them. I had to kill Bob and the kids to release Mary Jane. On Sunday, July 18, 1982, Milda Karklins succumbed to her injuries. Marty Karklins now faces murder charges in both Ottawa and Kent counties. One of the Karklins' neighbors, who had a cottage on Minor Lake near the cottage owned by Juris and Milda, would tell police that Karklins didn't always think he was Hitler. Sometimes he thought he was Stalin, and other times Mussolini. He was fixated on World War II. This neighbor related an incident that happened perhaps in 1980 or 81, where Karklins ransacked his parents' house, took a knife and stabbed their pillows and the mattress on their bed several times. When his parents returned home to the chaos he'd created, Marty was upset, telling them that he'd killed them, and he threatened to set the house on fire. His parents related this to the neighbor a few weeks after it happened. They were worried about their son. They were frightened of him and unsure how to protect themselves, or him, from his outbursts, from his paranoia the behavior that his parents referred to as bad spirits. At the end of July, during a preliminary hearing, Kirkland's attorneys announced they would be using an insanity defense in the trial. Also at the hearing, Grand Rapids police officer Robert Molsky testified that Kirkland's told him he had to shoot his mother because she was, quote, a witch and a commie agent during the pretrial hearing marty karklins told the court that he had to kill the children because they were demons and he wanted to free mary jane he set the house on fire because it was quote a witch's cauldron that needed to be destroyed his father jurist karklins also testified at the hearing he said that marty called himself and his wife into the basement of the home that the three of them shared marty pulled out a pistol and grabbed milda Pulling her toward him and pressing the gun to her neck. Juris cried out, No, Marty, no, Jesus, don't do that. But Marty pulled the trigger, revealing that the weapon wasn't loaded. Marty ran up the stairs. Juris and Milda followed, wanting to get out of the house, wanting to get away from their son. He met them at the top of the stairs. Marty again pointed the gun at his mother and pulled the trigger. This time, there was a deafening crack as the gun fired, the bullet tearing into Milda, knocking her down the steps. Her body sprawled on the basement floor. Juris fled the home, coming face to face with neighbors who rushed outside to learn the source of the shot. He's under the devil's power, Juris told them. Is no more Marty. He's devil. When questioned further at the pretrial hearing, Juris said that he is not angry at his son, He just wants him to get better, to get free of the devil. In November, Dr. Lynn Blunt, clinical director of the State Center for Forensic Psychiatry in Ypsilanti, Michigan, gave the court his findings after examining Maris Karklins. He told them that Karklins has, quote, experienced at least five psychotic episodes, and that, quote, he believes the spirit of Adolf Hitler has entered him. Blunt also told the court that when he examined Karklins, the disease was in remission. The state versus Marty Karklins in the matter of the Paulson family murder started in July of 1983. It began with his lawyer asking for a venue change. He wanted the case moved out of Ottawa County. He didn't want it held in neighboring Kent County, either, where the Nazi-themed shooting of his mother was covered heavily in the press. The request to move the trial was denied. Ottawa County Prosecutor Wesley Nykamp handled the case. He was an experienced prosecutor who would later go on to the bench. While his attorney intended to pursue a not guilty due to mental illness defense, the state's experts would testify that while Marty Karklins told law enforcement that he is the reincarnation of Adolf Hitler, he is mentally ill, but he is also competent to stand trial for the murders. When Ottawa County Medical Examiner Charles Wang took the stand to testify as to the nature of the injuries sustained by the Paulson family, he did not spare the court any details. If you, the listener, wishes to skip these details, jump ahead 15 seconds. Bob Paulson was shot five times in the head. Mary Jane Paulson was shot twice in the head. 18-year-old Cynthia, who should be enjoying her freshman year of college, was shot four times in the head and her younger sisters, Carla and Casey, each had three head wounds. While the fire set by Karklins would engulf the Paulson home, the bodies were not burned. They were not damaged by the fire. This allowed the medical examiner to complete a thorough exam. Several people were called to testify during the trial. One of them was a Grand Rapids-area gun dealer who revealed that on March 13th, the day after the Paulson family murder. Marty Karklins came to him, looking to sell a 22 caliber 9-shot revolver. This was likely the gun used by Karklins on the day of the murder. His father, Juris, did not attend or participate in the Ottawa County trial. His brother, Andrus Karklins, wasn't there either. The younger son of Milda and Juris was a musician, touring in Europe at the time of the murders and the trials. It is unknown if he returned to Michigan to support his father during this time. I should mention that Karklin told his attorney, Joseph Legatz, not to use a mental illness defense. The judge confirmed with Karklin's that he understood the ramifications of such a request, and Karklin said yes, he understood. Karklin's attorney called only two witnesses for the defense before they rested, and neither witness provided Karklin's with an alibi for the afternoon of the murders. On Friday, February 25, 1983, Marty Karklins was found guilty of first-degree murder in the death of the Paulson family. Ottawa County Circuit Judge James Townsend handed down the verdict. In mid-March, 1983, Karklins, against the advice of his attorney, pled guilty in the murder of his mother the Kent County prosecutor told the press that Karklins agreed to plead guilty as he wanted to spare his father the stress of a trial. Music Karklins' younger brother, Andres, lived and worked in Europe. In the early 60s, he moved to Spain to study flamenco guitar, By the early 80s, he is performing and touring the world, including his native Latvia. In 2012, at the age of 69, he passes away in Riga, Latvia. The music you just heard is of him playing guitar, and I will provide a link to the YouTube video of his music on our website. As of June 2018, Marty Karklins is 77 years old and resides at the Cotton Correctional Facility in Jackson, Michigan. The Ottawa County Sheriff's Detective, Lee Posma, who worked the Paulson murder, is retired and divides his time between Michigan and Florida. Ottawa County Circuit Judge James Townsend, who provided at Karklin's trial, passed away in 2014 at the age of 89. Prosecutor Wesley Nykamp became a judge and now, in his late 70s, is mostly retired. Joseph Legatz, the attorney who represented him in the Paulson family murders, still has a shingle out for his law practice. He was appearing in court on behalf of his clients as recently as 2015. The Paulson family was cremated after their funeral service in March of 1982. Their home, the beloved farmhouse that burned, is long gone. Allendale Township, the town where the Paulsons lived and the Paulson children attended school, is much changed from 36 years ago. The K-12 school that all three girls attended is now a K-8 school, and the population of Allendale has tripled. People still talk about the Paulsons. Their story has become one of legend and rumor. But the family was real, their deaths all too real and Marty Karklins, a troubled man who became a figure out of a nightmare when his illness was unmanaged and out of control, is also very real. Special thanks go out to retired Ottawa Sheriff's Detective Lee Pazma. He agreed to a brief conversation with me to talk about this case. His memory of these terrible events was clear, and I am grateful for him, and other investigators like him, who don't just investigate these cases, but they learn the stories and they carry the details even decades later. Mental illness is a complex subject. If you need support or would like more information, the National Alliance on Mental Illness can help. Visit NAMI.org. Already Gone is a bi-weekly true crime podcast focused on Michigan and the Great Lakes region. For more information on this case, including photos, videos of Andrus Karklins, and some of our research, visit our website at www.alreadygonepodcast.com. You can find the show on Facebook or on Twitter at Already Gone Pod. Stay tuned after the credits for a promo from our friends Haley and Jess at Murder Road Trip. I'm Nina Instead, the writer, producer, and voice behind Already Gone. Thank you for listening, and please, be safe. Murder Road Trip is a bi weekly podcast where I, Haley, travel to the scene of the crimes in my car, the Mobile Bees Lab. I am joined by my regular co host Jess and our podcasting friends as we discuss the cases. Join us on the road for snacks, mixtapes, games, and more as we make the research journey to crime scenes around the United States and the world. Make sure to check your backseat, and we'll see you at the next rest stop.